Hello, ABF family. We are so excited that you have chosen to join us on our online service. Well, we would love to connect with you and support you in any way we can. So go ahead and text us at 97000 and let us know what's going on in your life. Let us know how we can be praying for you. Man, our, our staff team loves to support you. We love to pray for you. So make sure that we hear from you this week. Well, for those of you that live locally, man, we'd love for you to come out to the church and get involved. There's so many ways that you can get involved here, jumping into a Bible study, a service project, or one of our children's events. Man, check out our website at agorabible.org to find out more information. Well, our ongoing ministries are only made possible through your generous financial support. So if you'd like to give a donation, uh, go onto our website and hit the Give tab. Well, I hope you are excited to dive into God's Word. Well, before we begin, let's just bow for a word of prayer. Father God, we just invite your Spirit to work in and through us. God, we love you so much, and we are just... Awesome. It's awesome that we can open up your word and that you speak to us. So Lord, as the word is presented, may we have ears and hearts that are open, ready to hear from you. We love you so much and we thank you for your goodness in our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Miss Adrian, for those announcements. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at ABF. So excited to be with you. Thank you so much for clicking on another online service here. I'm excited to dive into part eight of our summer series, 10 questions that Jesus asked. And before we get into that question, uh, I must ask you a question. Have you ever in your life ever been called out? called out for something that you did that was bad, that was wrong, or something just being corrected. Uh, you don't have to answer because you can't necessarily, although if you wanna drop a comment, I would love to hear that story. But I remember being called out a lot uh, because of certain things. And I remember one uh, story specifically being called out that forever has stayed with me. I was in eighth grade and I was in history class and uh, I actually love history, but I was really tired and I was falling asleep because uh, I was I stayed up all night the night before playing Gran, Gran Turismo. It was awesome. Uh, but I actually fell asleep really hard in this class. And uh, I uh, was uh, woken up and I don't know how long I was out, but I w was woken up by the teacher and the teacher had asked me a question about uh, what he had just talked. And as you can imagine, um, I had no idea, so I kind of just made something up, and uh, it didn't work, and uh, he knew I was very tired. I was like, no, I wasn't sleeping. Fast forward a couple minutes later, he has me stand up in front of his class, and I'm standing there right against the wall, and he's here in front of me now continuing to teach. So I'm behind him, everyone's staring at me. It's awkward, but I'm like, whatever. Uh, it's keeping me awake. I thought it was keeping me awake. All of a sudden, again, I'm exhausted. I'm standing here after being called out. I kid you not, I fall asleep standing upright with the teacher in front of me. I fall asleep and I hit the back wall and I collapse. Now, that was funny for students, but I got into trouble uh, for 
for that. Uh, but what was so interesting is after that moment, uh, the teacher and I actually had a, a connection. We, we, we got to be able to share stories with each other and, and just uh, he was able to actually take a moment of being frustrated with me, but also build an awesome teacher-student relationship. So I was actually uh, very fond of him. Uh, fast forward to a couple years ago, I'm teaching high school Bible at Hillcrest Christian School when I, when I was working there. And I was teaching, uh, and sure enough, a senior in my class uh, had fallen asleep. Uh, so I was like, finally, I get to call out someone like someone called me out. Uh, although I did it in a different way, I got everyone else's attention and I said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to turn off the lights and we're going to escape the room and leave him in this room. And we did that. We all got out. He was still sleeping and we waited a couple minutes and then uh, he woke up and then came out. It was hilarious. It was awesome. So that was me being called out and that was me in a way calling out someone. So today's question is... A call out. It's a call out. Jesus asked this question, who was it that touched me? Who was it that touched me? This is a call out question. It is asked in a moment, though, in a time of crises. Okay, a very serious moment. This question is asked in this time of crises. It's involving two desperate people. Two desperate people with two desperation acts, with two acts of desperation. Person number one is a desperate father, a father of high status, and he's trying to get Jesus to his daughter immediately before time is up, before she's dead. Person number two is a woman, a poor, lonely, isolated woman with no hope, desperate to just touch Jesus's robe. And we're going to see in this passage that the desperation leads to desperation acts, desperation act, uh, actions, with one of them being called out. One of them being called out. But through this question, during this call out, Jesus' compassion is present for full restoration the whole way. So before we dive in, let me pray and then we'll get to it. Father God, we thank you so much for another chance to be able to do church together, Lord, to be able to open up your word, Lord. And we just pray right now, Lord, that the spirit just moves us, Lord, that we are able to uh, just get out of this passage that you want us to hear, Lord, uh, that our hearts will just be filled with uh, reminders of your goodness and your compassion and your love, Lord. We thank you so much for this chance. We thank you for your word, Lord. And we just pray that you just go before us, open up our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, Lord to what you have us, uh, to what you want us to learn. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, so today's passage is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, will be in verse 40 through 56. A little context, though, of what just happened, what's been going on in chapter 8 before we get to this moment. Uh, the author of the Gospel of Luke is, you guessed it, Luke. And uh, he was a historian, and he was also a physician. So he was a historian, and he was a, a physician. This is very important because he was very educated and very academic. So as a historian, it's so important uh, to understand facts, to be able to cross-check your references. Uh, Luke Luke got a, a many, many uh, eyewitness accounts uh, 
through Jesus's life. Uh, he interviewed many, many people. Uh, and because he was a physician, he understood medical stuff. And uh, so his background uh, is kind of important in this uh, passage. Scholars believe that his gospel, the gospel of Luke, is more considered to be pure history based on his writing style, based on the fact that he was actually a historian. Luke chapter 8, it's one of my favorite chapters. Uh, we don't have time to read it all because it's kind of a long chapter, but I encourage you to read all of Luke chapter 8 because it is a crazy, crazy um crazy chapter. So during this time, right before we get into this moment, the disciples must have been thinking, well, what is next? What's next? Could anything else just happen? Could anything happen? Because they believe that they've seen it all. Moments before this passage that we're in, uh, we see that Jesus calms the storm, not the same storm, not the same time that uh, when I spoke two weeks ago about Jesus walking on the water, uh, he was uh, napping in the boat while the disciples were terrified and uh, they uh, wake him up because they're scared and he says, you have a little, you know, you have no faith. So, and he calms the storm immediately and what happens then is that they get uh, to the other sea of Galilee and as soon as Jesus and the disciples step out of the boat, and again, this is Luke 8, so you got to go back and read it. As soon as they step out of the boats, a naked man okay, comes storming at them, filled with demons. He says, my name is Legion. He's uh, cut and bruised because he cuts himself, and he, they, he's been shackled, but he keeps breaking the shackles. And he says that his name is Legion because it means thousands, and, and he's just fully demon-possessed. But he falls at Jesus' feet, and the demons inside of this man say, hey, throw us into the pigs. Jesus throws us into the pigs and Jesus takes the, the demons and throws them to the pigs. And then all of a sudden these hundreds of pigs just go cliff diving off the cliff and kill themselves. And uh, then the, the locals are terrified and they want Jesus to leave. Uh, and then you have the, the, the naked demon possessed man who's no longer naked because he's fully clothed and he's no longer demon possessed. Uh, he wants to go with Jesus and the disciples, but Jesus says, no, 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 you can't go, go and tell your story. Go and tell what happened. So the Jesus, uh, Jesus is asked to leave, so he gets back into the boat with the disciples, and they go back to the other side of the sea, to the, uh, the other Sea of Galilee, other side of the Sea of Galilee, and they're crossing the same moment, the same spot where Jesus just calmed the storm when he was napping. So as they're getting back to the other side, all of this has happened. The calming of the storm, the demons into the pigs, amazing, amazing, amazing moments. And they're thinking, oh my goodness, we have seen everything. There's nothing that could top that. But it is Jesus. He is God. And he's going to continue to do amazing things. And this is where we pick up in verse 40. Chapter 8, Luke 8, verse 40. Here we go. Now when Jesus returned from the other side of the sea, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only, uh, only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And she was dying. All right, so... We see as soon as Jesus gets off the boat, there's many, many, many people here. And we see, we get introduced to this man named Jairus, who is the ruler of the synagogue. 
Uh, he would have been very well known, very respected. Uh, he would have been in charge of everything that has to do with the synagogue, uh, uh, ceremony, schedule, every single Sabbath. He would be in charge of who would be the reader of the scripture. Uh, he's in charge of the timing of all the festivals of all the years. He was very known, very known, very prestigious title here. So we see that he falls at Jesus' feet. Now, this was a bold move by Jairus in front of everyone for two reasons. For two reasons. The first one is that currently, at this time, the Jewish people, especially the rulers of the synagogues, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they started making a line of where they put Jesus. They were uh, drawing their line against Jesus because they believed that Jesus had powers, but they were from below, from, from demonic forces. Uh, they didn't like that Jesus was proclaiming truth uh, about this upside-down kingdom. They were getting scared of the power that he was getting because of all the hundreds and hundreds of people that were there, thousands of people listening to his parables. So they started to not like about this guy saying that he might be the Messiah, that he is the Messiah. So that's bold uh, move number one is because him being, Jairus being a synagogue ruler, okay, he likes Jesus. He falls at his feet. Bold move number two, uh, in this culture, Jewish men would never run and they would never fall on their knees at the feet of Jesus, let alone anyone. May I remind you how disgusting feet were during that time? I mean, feet are disgusting now. I don't like feet. But during this time, there's a reason why every single house had a bowl of water by the door. Because feet, people, were just like, they're walking through feces. They're walking through rocks and gravel and dirt and mud. Even Jesus' feet would have been really, really in bad shape. We're talking about broken toenails and cuts and bloody and blisters. But we see here that Jairus falls at his feet. So a man would never have done that. But we have a desperate father here. We have a desperate father who would do anything for his little girl. Anything for his only girl. Desperate times here. There's no other choice. You're desperate. Your daughter's dying. And you hear about this man, Jesus, who can do things that doctors can't. Maybe you heard about Jesus raising the little son the chapter before in Luke chapter 7. The things that we do for our kids, right? I don't know about you, but man, I've had my moments of being a papa bear, right? When, when someone says something to my kid or, or something's about to happen, like I'm just like, I'm about to like, you know, go to jail. Like I, I, mama bears are out there. I've seen them all the time. I've seen my wife, right? It's just something in us that God has designed us to care for our children, I know I've also been a desperate bear, that I'm willing to do anything for my children, especially in times of crises. The things that we do for our kids, so often though, we come to Jesus because of tragedy. His daughter's dying here, and he's recognizing his need, her need for the Savior. So question for you, for me, for us. When is the last time we fell to our knees at Jesus' feet. When was the last time? Are you humble enough? 
Are you like Jairus where you're humble enough that you don't care about your title, about your role, about what you've done, about your success? Are you humble enough to fall on your knees at the feet of Jesus? My second question on top of that is that do we only do that in times of desperation? Or do we fall on our knees because he alone is worthy? Because he is worthy. We'll continue. Second part of verse 42 here. And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So here in this section, we we see that Jairus falls at Jesus' feet. He's desperate. My only daughter's dying. I need you to get to my house. Can you please come? And the crowds are still there. They're pressing up on him. And he's following Jairus. Jairus. And we're introduced to the second person who's so desperate, so desperate, this woman. It says that she has a discharge of blood. Again, Luke would have understood what this meant, being a physician. This is a chronic internal hemorrhage. But this also meant that this woman was banished. We see that she is poor. She's given all of her money to physicians. She's considered unclean. She has no friends, probably. She, she has no husband. She has no relationships. She's alone and with no hope. In Leviticus 15, 19, you can go and read that. I'm not going to read it here uh, for time's sake, but it's very detailed. And anyone uh, during this time would have understood Levitical law, what this scripture meant, that every person that this woman touched, everything that she sat on, every room or area that she entered would have been considered unclean. For 12 years, this has been her life. Everyone knew this law in Leviticus. Again, Leviticus, Leviticus 15, 19, go. It's pretty detailed about uh, blood. And uh, I think so many times, especially I know for me and in my studies uh, this week, it's like, man, why was God so harsh in some of these rules and laws, these laws, especially according to blood? And through the commentaries that I was reading, it's interesting Could it be perhaps that God who created the human body would understand, knew how deadly, how contagious blood contamination would be? Leviticus was written thousands of years before scientists would be able to study the dangers of contaminations, that blood would be the most dangerous fluid. So maybe God gave parameters to protect his children from this. Because it would be a couple of thousand years again before people really understood the gravity, the, the, the seriousness of blood contaminations and blood. So just a thought. Uh, so again, this woman, she's been struggling. For 12 years, she's been, she's been an outcast. For 12 years, doctor after doctor have taken her money with no help. For 12 years, she has been alone and afraid to go anywhere. For 12 years, she has been considered unclean. She has lost all hope. For 12 years, she has been waiting for a miracle. She's heard that Jesus has stepped off the boat and is making his way through town. And she's like, man, I've heard the stories. I heard that he can heal leprosy, that he can make the paralyzed walk. And she's got one chance. 
She has one shot, one opportunity. She thinks he can do the things that doctors can't do. So interesting here. We have two ladies, two females, a 12-year-old girl, Jairus' daughter, who's about to enter the prime time of her life, about to enter young uh, womanhood, who's had 12 years of great health, as far as we can tell, a great childhood, but desperate for Jesus to intervene because she's dying. And we also have this woman, we don't really know the age of her, but we know that for 12 years, she's been ashamed, she's been alone and helpless, and she's also desperate for Jesus to intervene. So verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. What an amazing moment this is. Think about it. Jairus is here, having Jesus follow him in a very quick pace to get to his house because his daughter's dying. And this woman who's so desperate for Jesus sees him coming and goes for it and starts to make her way through the crowd and just reaches out her hand and just touches the fringe. Point number two here I have is curious or convinced. Curious or convinced. Again, possibly hundreds of people in the crowds just just to get a glimpse of Jesus, uh, just to see what he would say or do next. Many fans of Jesus here. Many people, many people that have been hearing about what Jesus has been doing. Just waiting and watching. Have you guys ever walked through like a really crowded like area? Uh, like I, I think of like uh, Dodger Stadium when it's like completely packed and just trying to get to like the hot dog stand and just like you're like trying to like do this or, or you know, you go to Costco on Saturday mornings. It's like my least favorite time, right? You're just trying to like, and you have the people trying to go, get to the free samples and you're just trying to walk through the produce aisle, right? This is, the, this is what we're talking about where it is many, many, many people pressing up on Jesus, He's the most talked about person in Israel right now. He's having to make his way through Peter and he stops and says, who touched me? And Peter says, who touched you? Like many people, there's tons of people. But Jesus stops in his tracks here. Understand the urgency here. The urgency of Jairus, a desperate father who has Jesus's attention here. Every single minute matters. He's headed to the house to heal his only daughter, desperate, and now there's a change of plans. So Jesus stops. Like, can you imagine being Jairus' desperate father? Like, like, who cares who touched you, Jesus? Like, come on, let's get to my house. Like, she's dying. Every single second matters. This delay would have been so frustrating for Jairus because he knows what's on the line. Any of us ever get frustrated when there's a delay in our schedule? Me, many times especially when God isn't showing up when you thought he would or when you wanted him to. We touched base on this a couple weeks ago when I spoke that Jesus showed up on the fourth watch nine hours after the disciples had been rowing in terrible conditions, violent storm, when he shows up. But a reminder that God's timing is never wrong. His timing is never wrong. Jesus understands the delay here and is not worried. 
Remember, Jesus, God, he, they're omnipresent and working in everyone's lives, not just a narrow focus on you or me at any given moment. He is in control of every single detail, every single moment. He is sovereign over all nature, all supernatural, all of life and death. But in this moment, going to Jairus' house, he felt a different type of a touch. And this woman stood out. If you think about it, in crowds of 100 people or so, I guarantee that she wasn't the only one that was sick. I guarantee that she wasn't the only one that needed to be healed. She stood out. And she was the only one that is here being healed in this scripture. Why? It's because she was not curious. She was convinced on who Jesus was. She wasn't just a fan of Jesus. She understood who Jesus was was. And her faith here made the difference. Faith is all about action, a step of obedience, acting out in faith. And she went out into the crowd where she knew she couldn't be and reached her hand out. And she believed that if she could just get close and touch his robe, that would be enough. So she touches the robe and, and she left and she was just hoping to touch and go again. Like this is the last place that she should be in front of many, touching many people by accident. She's rubbing shoulders with people. She's making them unclean, making the area unclean. She did not want to be called out. This is the last thing that she wanted. And Jesus isn't really asking. Like, it's not like he, he doesn't know who, who touched him. We see this in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sin and eat the fruit, and God come, comes down and says, where are you guys? Like He knows, but Jesus here, and like God in Genesis asks, where are you in here who touched me? Why does he do that? Because it causes us to admit, it causes us to ask for true repentance, to, to bring spiritually healing, for us to confront or to, to, to tell Jesus that we've messed up, to own it, to ask for true forgiveness. And Jesus has a reason why he calls her out here. Verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, <laughs> how many times do we hide? We hide so often. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why uh, she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, Circle, underline, highlight the word, the title, daughter. We're going to go back to that here in a second. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is a powerful moment here. She's been called out, and I can just picture Jesus turning around, looking straight at her. And there's a, there's a gap that happens between the crowds, and she's there, and she sees him. And she comes, she's trembling, she's scared, of course, because she's not supposed to be there. She's embarrassed. This is the last thing that she wanted. Her biggest fear came up. She's being called out. She's having to admit and tell her story. And we see that she tells her story. She tells everything. Point number three here, our faith affects others. Our faith affects others. Often we don't admit or share our struggles with others. We just don't. 
And because of that, people don't get to hear the amazing things that the Lord has done in our lives, how he has delivered us. Because we keep things so private, because uh, it's me and Jesus only, and only he knows when I tell him, even though he knows all the time, like I don't share here and there. And because of that, when God delivers us, and he restores us, and he makes us new, we don't necessarily get to share that because people don't understand what we've been through. Here, her life has been restored. In this moment, Jesus is publicly giving her space to share her story, her testimony, and how Jesus has healed her. She is known publicly now as being healed physically by Jesus, but she can now tell her story about being healed spiritually, which is the most important type of healing. And I got news for you. A great reminder here is that Jesus loves to restore people. We see it all through the Gospels. The Samaritan woman, Peter, after his denial, Jesus goes to him after the denying of him three times and restores him. The woman about to be stoned, who's believed to be Mary Magdalene, Jesus restores her. Every single person that knew or heard of this woman has a new image of her now. She has a clean slate. That wouldn't have happened unless he called her out. If she just escaped and took the healing, she would still have been hidden. Can you imagine now her excitement in telling others about this day? How many people came to Jesus or were interested in Jesus because of her story, because of her testimony? Our faith affects others. Her past, my past, and your past can be the most important tool in sharing Jesus. Our past, our story is the most important story or tool in sharing Jesus. Just like the demon-possessed man that we talked about earlier, Legion, Jesus says, go, tell what happened. Go tell your story. Just like the paralyzed man being lowered from the roof, pick up your mat and go tell the story. Just like the man that was healed from leprosy who comes back, Jesus says, go tell what happens. Go tell your story. Our stories matter. The good, the bad, the ugly. Our stories matter. Go and share it with others because our faith affects other people. And I love this verse 48. I said we'd go back to this. And he, Jesus, said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I'm a father of three daughters. Uh, Kinsey's my oldest, Cameron's my middle daughter, and, and Kennedy is three. Um, and uh, those are my three girls. The word, the title daughter is a privileged title. And only those three have that. Only those three girls in this whole entire world I call daughter, no one else. A daughter is a specific title given from a parent, a dad. And that parent or dad, just like me, would do anything at any moment. I would give my life happily any moment for all my kids, for those three daughters. I would do it. Jesus says, calls her daughter. I guarantee that this woman was not expecting to hear that title. I guarantee she was not expecting to hear Jesus calling her daughter. In that moment, 
12 years of being alone, ashamed, 12 years of not feeling worthy to be a wife, a friend, or a daughter, were all restored in a moment, publicly, to everyone. Our, our identity is found in him. Jesus knew who his daughter was. And Jesus knew at this moment that she needed to hear that. That she needed to hear the title daughter coming out of his mouth. To be a part of her restoration. To be part of her story, her life. To have her identity that was lost given back. And I have good news again. We are all children. We are sons and daughters of God. John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of a man, of man, but of God. Romans 8, verse 16 through 17 the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Do not forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. You're a son or a daughter. Amazing moment. All right, so amazing section of scripture here. The question that we were tackling has been asked. It's been answered. But if you remember, we're still in the middle of a crisis. Jairus is just there waiting, being patient, hoping that this moment with Jesus and this woman goes by quickly because his daughter is still dying. So we must finish this story real quick because it's so good. Verse 49, while he was still speaking, while Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. These people, they gave up. They turned away from Jesus. They said, don't bother the teacher anymore. This is such bad, bad advice. Don't put Jesus in your negative thoughts and your fears and negative outcomes and outcomes. God can still work even if we believe that the deadline has passed. Continue to call out to him even when time is up. How many times have we said, too late, don't even bother Jesus. Too late, don't bother the teacher. How many times have we listened to friends and family and the enemies say, don't bother. Don't bother the teacher. There's no point. Philippians 4, verse 6 or 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses, surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And there are many more scriptures telling us just to pray to Jesus, just to go to him for everything. Trouble the master. Don't listen to this bad advice. Trouble him. Trouble the master. Jesus got delayed here in this moment, but he stopped to affirm this woman who needed affirmation to be told to be given the title daughter. 
but he never forgot about the girl that needed him. So, trouble the master. Don't stop. Don't turn your back on him. Verse 32. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. We see that they laughed at him, that they mocked him, that Jesus could do something in the moment before it was too late, but now that she's dead, it's too late. They didn't understand who Jesus was. They mocked him, and yet he still had compassion, and he healed her. Jesus has compassion for Jairus and his wife. He saved him and his wife from grief, healed their daughter. Now, we know that this isn't the case all the time. We lose people. We live in a broken world, an earth that is fractured by sin, but we are promised that Jesus will restore all things one day, that he is still sovereign over everything. Verse 56, the last verse, Jesus says, tell no one. And some people are like, man, why does Jesus want to keep everything like on the down low? Well, can you imagine in this case how many like, like times he would get invited to go to a funeral or like how many times like he would get asked to go to a person's house? He, has, uh, he knows his timeline. He knows the places that he needs to go. He knows the people he needs to have interactions with and the things that he needs to teach. And things are already getting tough for him to walk around. We see that there's hundreds of people that are just crowding him. So imagine if word gets out that he just healed the ruler of the synagogue's daughter, things would get a little more chaotic. The tension attention that he would get would be very difficult. So to close, the question, who was it that touched me? A direct question for a specific reason. What a beautiful reminder in this passage that God loves to restore his children. He loves to restore his children to affirm who they are in him. Daughter. Calls her daughter. What an amazing father we have in Jesus. May we trouble the teacher this week. I don't know where you are right now, but man, if there's something that's been eating at you and you feel like that deadline is approaching and there's a moment of helplessness and there's nothing that can trouble him, it's not too late. It's never too late with him. Never too late. May we fall at his feet with our concerns and our fears and our doubts this week. May we bring a request to him, as scripture says, because he's always listening. He's always there. And he's willing to listen and speak to us. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this amazing moment where we see two desperate people, Lord, but you're able to intervene and be able to be present in both of these people's lives, Lord. And what a reminder of how great you are and how compassionate you are that you intervene and are involved in our lives every single moment, Lord. May we remember to bring our requests to you, Lord. May we remember to fall at your feet because you are worthy. 
And Lord, we're so thankful for your graciousness, Lord. We thank you for this uh, beautiful passage, Lord. And uh, we just thank you for who you are. In your name we pray, amen.